Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. On this episode, the Falcon's anniversary, well, we just had it, and it required a fair amount of beer. We had 42, 45, 40, 40 some odd beers on tap, and you'll be hearing more about that. Today, we're focusing on the beer that we did with the Wild and Wacky Brew Team at Transplants Brewing Company, who made a variation of My Pumpkin Saison. We'll hear from Matt and Sarah Luker, the power behind Transplants, and Brandon, the power behind their deeply odd artwork. And then I'll wrap up the show with a discussion of both my homebrew recipe and my reactions to the Quashing Falcons as I had it in my glass. But first, a message from our sponsors. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. Welcome, everybody. It's another collaboration time. You guys have heard by now at least one episode where the Falcons have done a collaboration beer here in the L.A. County area. And we are back at a place we haven't been in a while. You guys were on the podcast not too long ago before, or actually not too long after we launched. So why don't we go ahead and say hello to the crew from Transplants. And who do we have? I'm Brandon Singleton. I'm the art director, and I help brew at Transplants. I'm Sarah Luker. I'm one of the owners and brewers at Transplants. I'm Matt Luker, other owner and brewer. 
And then we have one Falcons representative sitting over there in the corner. Say hi, sir. Hi, I'm Ed from the Falcons. You've heard Ed before. If you remember the uh, Brew of the Falcon Day uh, that happened at my house the day I draped him with a Red Sox uh, quilt, and he freaked out. I still have scars from that. It burns into me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so let's talk the you know the thing that we're all here to do today because again, it's the Falcons' 45th anniversary. It's our you know our time for a big celebration of being somehow capable of keeping a club running for 45 years in a hobby that's yeah in a hobby that's not exactly what I would call built for longevity. And we're here. We're doing a saison. So why don't we talk about what the saison is? Um, so we're doing a saison that's going to have butternut squash and dark brown sugar. So we wanted to go like kind of with that fall theme, but not like pumpkin spice or any of that kind of stuff. And so this is based off of uh, my saison poteron, you know, the pumpkin saison that, that I've done uh, over the years. Same, same concept, changed up. And then obviously that many pumpkin pies is kind of hard or that many pie pumpkins is hard to come by. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, another reason... Uh... We have a friend at, at Holland Ranch uh, who's helping us with the cantaloupe beer, uh, and he offered that he had some really good butternut squash that was available, and we seen, it seemed like to be a good option for this. And, and really, at the end of the day, a squash is a squash is a squash, yeah. and there's absolutely nothing truly special about a pumpkin uh, as a squash, unless you're getting like a super sweet one, but you're planning on treating the butternut squash specially. Yeah, I'm going to roast them with some brown sugar in the oven, then we're going to put it in secondary. All right, and that way we can extract all that sugar, get it in, let the yeast go to town. And I mean, this fits in perfectly with the brewery's profile, you know, this sort of beer. I mean, you guys are known for some really out there sort of ideas. Definitely. This kind of goes along with one that we did last year with uh, potatoes where we actually use the potatoes as an element of the beer for the fermentation process. So. I will say, too, when we first actually got this, when Ed sent it to us, uh, our first reaction was, oh, <laughs> it's a pumpkin beer. Uh, but we, I guess we can't tell Drew now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, the good part, the reason why I've always liked this recipe is, yeah, it's a pumpkin beer, but it's not the usual pumpkin pie approach that people do with these sorts of beers where it's, how much cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove can I add? And, oh, and some uh, powdered ginger too, right? You know, it's like, I want to make this taste like a pumpkin pie. The thing I've always liked about this was it's getting the squash pumpkin-y flavors from the fruit and the sugars and the starches. But then all the spicing is coming from the yeast. So to me, that's that's the reason why I've always liked this is it it's playful. It kind of pokes a little bit of fun at the trend of pumpkin beers, but still gives you an experience. And I think it always works better. I always think that uh, people have, I mean, I would trust you guys to play around with this sort of spicing, but I think a lot of breweries, whenever they do these sort of spice beers, since they're not necessarily in their milieu, they end up tasting like a Yankee candle. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's not what we want. One of my favorite things to make every year for Thanksgiving is butternut squash. So I always try to add just a little bit of sage. So that was the only note that I was thinking would maybe help this. Just... That actually might be interesting. I mean, and it's especially something because we have that grows wild here, so we could do like a little bit of wild sage. I was going to say, L.A. County is covered in wild sage. I mean... The Angeles Forest is right around the corner from here. So. Well, and down where I live in Pasadena, we've got Craftsman, and Mark at Craftsman has been hiking into the Angeles Forest for years, uh, harvesting <laughs> harvesting sage from the forest and bring it down and making a triple with it. So, yeah, I mean, I think sage would actually be a brilliant note with it. And just to cover the grounds, uh, what we got going on here is we've got uh, 11 and a half barrels. Yeah, we, I mean, we end up with 10 at the end. So 11 and a half to end up with 10 to be able to serve to everybody. 550 pounds of uh, pale malt, 25 pounds of uh, aromatic, 
15 pounds of uh, C75 and then 15 pounds of a white wheat malt. Yeah, this is kind of an older Saison recipe based for mine. So, yeah, it gets a, a little weird. But I mean, there have been some changes, so which is good. And then all the hoppings, Zots. You know, so a whole bunch of Zots in this, just to give that classic thing. And then we already talked that we're going to have brown sugar and butternut squash coming into the into the beer later. Are, are you guys going to do something? Or are you going to try and split the beer so that it it goes like, you know, pre-squash, post-squash, or is it all going to be squashed? Uh, just all squash. And we're also putting like a 50 pounds of uh, dark brown sugar at the near the end of the boil, too. Yeah, I passed by the bag earlier when we were, <laughs> we were in there and it was like, I, I accidentally ended up leaning my knee against it. And I was like, what's that smell? And I looked down, <laughs> oh, brown sugar, big, a big old open bag of brown sugar, you know. For just for reasons of association, brown sugar will always make me think of the holidays. You know, I mean, so it's, I think that's most of the time the only time we ever use it. And then, then the big question, of course, since we're doing a saison, and yeah, we wanted to get the spicing profile from the yeast. You guys ended up going with the the White Labs Belgian saison one, right? The, the notorious finicky, you know, strain from hell. Any plans? Any concerns? I've never used it before. It just seemed to be the, I don't know the. The standard one to use for this. Uh, we've used French saison before, and I had a specific note that said uh, we should not use French saison for this. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine who said that. I actually pulled out uh, our experimental brewing book because I was wondering if this would actually be a recipe in there. I couldn't find it in there, but uh, you know, we still were looking at the yeast page for saison and stuff. Just it was a good trip down memory lane for that for uh, visiting this recipe. Let's talk about that because I mean, I, I love we're we're sitting here we're in your spare room. Yeah, this a nice little party space that you guys have, but right next door, we've got the brew kettles going. And I love the fact that and you guys have been open now for how many years? Going on four. It'll be four in January. So going on four, and there's still that homebrewer sense of uh, playfulness. And we were joking earlier about like the lack of like, you know, hard piped stuff. And it's like, it's all hoses being plugged in over there, plugged in over there. It still feels very... You know, homey to me in that way. Like I, like I, I can look at all this gear and go, okay, I, yeah, I, I got, I got this figured out, and I can do this. That, that's how we came up, and that's how we know what to do. I mean, <laughs> there's things we want to do in the future. We're always improving, just like everyone is. But totally jealous of Kip's setup, and I'm sure you guys had a much easier day at LAL Works yesterday. <laughs> right, and for uh, for people who don't obsessively follow what we're doing, I don't know why you don't. I mean, it's fun. We had a brew day, another one of collaboration brew days with uh, Kip at LA Airworks, who has also been on the podcast in the past. And the club made, uh, Eddie, what did we make? I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> well, you're useless. Uh, we made a double IPA with the Hornadal Quake East. There you go. So playing around with a couple of the trends that we've got going. Obviously, for us as homebrewers, you know, the great fun of coming up and doing a collaboration beer is, hey, we get to play around in a big brewery space, you know get to have, you know, a couple beer samples. We get to see our beer being made, you know, and transform that idea of like, here's the thing I did in my garage to here's the thing that's that's being done in this huge space. That's what we get out of it. What do you guys get out of doing this? Uh, we want to pay back to our, our homebrewing roots. This is how we come up came up, uh, you know, bring with you guys and, uh, you know, yeast ciders and beavers. Uh, so we just want to pay back to to what we came up with and all the people that were so gracious as to show us the way and uh, let us brew on bigger things. We just, whatever we can do to help further the homebrew community. We're totally all about that. It's also fun because I say homebrewers usually try to think outside the box as far as new ideas, which is what we usually do. Well, I was going to say it's right in, it's right in line with, with what you guys are doing. I mean, like 
or you have a Fulbert beer on, you've got a guava IPA, which I think actually you had the guava IPA on the last time I was up here and we talked on the podcast. We've made that more than everything, than anything. It's like 55 times now, I think. Right. And then, and I also love the fact that you guys had those, uh, uh donuts with uh, special frosting. <laughs> yes. We just had an event. Uh, we can't, everyone knows us for making Catbird, which is our IPA with CBD. And, uh, of course, as of about a year ago, we can't make that anymore. We still make Bull Feathers, which is the version with without it, because that's Bull Feathers. Uh, but we just had an event where we had Catbird Donuts. So our friends at Monster Donuts put a bunch of CBD in the frosting, and you can pair that with uh, Bull Feathers and have the Catbird experience. And it's very nice. But you guys are very clearly known for being playful. I'm having a, a an actually really lovely grapefruit uh, summer ale. And then, Ed, you've got the... This is the um, Visitor from Mars, a red IPA. Nice and delicious. And I see that you're keeping out of the hazy trend. We try to be out there, but also we don't want to be too much on what everyone else is doing, I guess. But I don't know. Hazies just aren't that interesting to us. Just If everyone else is doing something, we want to run in the other direction. Uh, also, we want to be authentic and true to ourselves. And that's I want to make beers that I want to drink, and that's just not something that resonates with us here sometimes we have some interesting results too because we did we've done the we had a sports beer that we did and it got a mixed reaction i'd say and we have a sarsaparilla ale that's on right now it was like 2.5 percent uh-huh. it's it's a soda yeah it's great it's a soda <laughs> but not a seltzer but not a seltzer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brandon it was i mean you you've introduced yourself as kind of the art director you, it, people will see the uh, a sample of the artwork when we put this live but Trust me, you have to go and see the artwork that you know transplants have. I mean, we're surrounded right now by absolutely insane murals everywhere with all sorts of crazy imagery, and some of uh, some of it I kind of recognize the influences of, and some of it terrifies me. That's what I was going for. So good, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But all of it's very, very interesting. And I know you've got a, a pin that's coming up for JBF. Yeah, we're doing a clown that says uh, "Celsius are meant for clowns." Now, do you? It, do you have a vision in mind for what you would think the artwork for this beer would be? Originally, we were going to do the pumpkin beer, so I was going to do a Jack Lantern because we're also doing our uh, another. We have several fall beers coming out, so I was going to try to do something that was like I could do the posters side by side so they work together. So it's going to be a Jack Lantern scaring another logo. But since we changed it up to the butternut squash, I think I'm just going to keep it the same and still do a Jack Lantern, but it's a butternut squash and. uh I don't know. That's that was where I was going for today. I gotta try to sketch that out because I think butternut squash scaring a falcon. I like that actually. Or, or a butternut butternut squash using a falcon to scare something. Or a falcon <laughs> carrying off a butternut squash, and then the butternut squash is scared. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like that a lot. You don't even see the falcon; it's just the claws like grabbing into the uh, butternut squash. This is collaboration at its finest, right? Yeah, we're collaborating on the beer, and now we're collaborating on the packaging. This is great. Well, it's, I think it's really. I find it important to be able to work with the making the beer. It makes it a lot easier to make the logos because I learn a lot along the way. Well, and it's sort of, to me, it's interesting with craft beer right now. There's a real, there's a real issue we've talked about on the podcast in, in the past about IP theft and IP borrowing uh, per se. Like, you know, people borrowing, oh, hey, look, that looks like a fish, uh, Swisher Sweets label. Right. Or I brought Nintendo characters on board or Simpsons characters. So, I mean, it's got to be a great, a great boon to you guys to be able to have sort of this in-house art all this generation so that you can 
you can stay very, very on point with your brand and be very creative. Well, we can be really out there and do designs that I think people really haven't seen before, but also I do like pop culture stuff. So like we did Planet of the Ape Robots, but it wasn't just Planet of the Apes. There's four different, you know, sci-fi and movie references within that one logo. So if you look at it, it's not, you can't just be directly on the nose. You have to try to mix it up a little. But I mean, again, it's like, I mean, that's great to see because I mean, that's riffing, right? I mean, that's one of the things I've always loved with both homebrewing and craft brewing is that you riff on things, right? Right. We're kind of, we consider kind of trolling almost a little bit, like in the, in a playful way. But, but to me, it's like, it's back to that sort of pure expression of how, how this stuff works as opposed to straight up, I went on to Google and I, I searched up, oh, hey, that's what Bart Simpson looks like in the logo, right? So it's good to see that you guys have that sort of, you have that ability to be able to to play and stay on point and not have to like drift into this world of like unoriginality. I like to keep it out there. Yeah, that's that's to our personal sensibilities. But I mean, the the other level besides that is like we're friends with people like Worst Beer Blog, and we want to be blameless. I don't want to be up on there in a, in a <laughs> negative way. So we're gonna try to see things through that lens. The only people who want to end up on Worst Beer Blog, and I I love what he's doing, are, are people who want the free publicity out of it. But yeah, it is, it is true. You know, that's definitely a, a place that you don't want to end up for good reasons. So we've got this beer being made right now. What, what are you guys thinking in terms of when when we'll actually see it? I think it'll be a, probably October 25th will be the release for Halloween weekend. There you go. Perfect time, uh, perfect time to put a squash beer out there. Now, here's the other part. So since this was basically starting off as a, as a homebrew recipe, what changes did you make uh, or what changes would you make if if you were coming up with the spear on your own? For me, uh, I mean, I was okay with the recipe and it, it was just percentages and kind of loose anyhow. And the hops were just like, well, bitter it, you know, 20 IBUs. So, I mean, it, there wasn't, it wasn't like you were being too strict on things. Uh, I know a lot of times here I end up just working at either half bags or whole bags. So to weigh out 10 or 15 pounds of something isn't something I'd usually do. So I probably would have just split the bags even and just been like close enough. But I was trying to be true to your recipe. Honestly, that's really the only change I would have probably made. <laughs> and that's that's one of those things I preach to people about, like, hey, if you're trying to replicate a commercial brew, then you've got to go and look at, like, the fact that, yeah, brewers aren't going to be out there usually weighing out, like, you know, portions of sacks that aren't, like, quarter, half, or a full sack. <laughs> it makes it way more consistent that way if you're just doing a half. So. Yeah, exactly. So, but, yeah, in this particular case, that 15 pounds are, those are a little weird. We probably uh, probably wouldn't have wanted to push the crystal up to 20, 25 pounds, but uh, the wheat would probably have been fine at, at twenty five pounds. But but still, I, I'm I'm really curious to see how this is going to come out. I'm curious to see like what sort of flavors we get out of the the butternut squash because I think the the real concern that you get when you have a, a squashy thing is that you get that vegetal jalapeno thing from the skins. Right. Well, I, w- I won't put it in the skins or any of that. Just cook it and scoop it out. Like kind of puree it. So where where are you going to find a space big enough for you to be able to roast? Uh, like um, our yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, like when we did uh, twice baked and mashed, I spent probably about twelve hours roasting all the potatoes. So yeah, that's pretty much going to be this. I don't think it'll take as long, but yeah, I'll just do it in my oven at home because I don't really have anything else I could do with that. So and how many, and how many pounds total? A hundred. A hundred. So that's not horrible. But no, it'll be easier than potatoes. But, yeah. 
And just think of the the amount of uh, butternut squash seeds that you could have. Yeah, you could. Yeah. You could t- and come in and bring them into the brewery as a as a snack to the patrons. Ah. Guys, anything else that we should uh, talk about uh, about the collaboration? Why don't we mention why they're doing a collaboration today? Because it's the Immortals Falcons' 45th anniversary party on October, or November 2nd. And we're going to be pouring this beer there, along with all our other collaborations. Yeah, it will be, be nice. We're going we're gonna to have the beers there. And I think we're also going to try and set up uh, a couple of our members opened up a, a taproom slash bottle shop in North Hollywood. Uh, and we're going to try and set up a day when we can have a tap takeover there that's going to have the, the spread of falcons collaborations as well so if people are in in the north hollywood area you'll be able to watch for that it'll be a lot of fun i think it's just kind of nifty to do this as an older club sounds like fun we'll be there yeah that's that's really fun well hey guys thank you so much i know we still got a beer to make so uh, let's get back to it and and have some more fun first let's go yankees (laughs) (laughs) that's getting edited (laughs) absolutely are you allergic to the Red Sox, Ed? Sounds like it. Well, thank you for sticking around. You heard from Matt, Sarah, Brandon, myself, all about talking about the recipe that we were doing. A couple of updates to that. We uh, did get the roasted butternut squash into the recipe. They roasted it and scooped it and put it into the secondary. So it was a post-ferment addition to allow for further uh, further fermentation, you know, because of all the sugars in the, in the pumpkin, or actually, sorry, all the sugars in the butternut squash. And then we served it at the 45th anniversary party and I thought it was really, really interesting. It did everything that I wanted. It had a little bit of that, that squashy note to it. So a little bit of that veggie character, but not quite a veggie, not the jalapeno thing, not the green pepper thing that you get a lot of times from, from different vegetables. But this one had that sort of fundamental fruity sort of plant material in there. And then you got the brown sugar, but you also got that really wonderful, deep spice character. It wasn't super hot cinnamon. It wasn't big, punchy face cloves or ginger or anything like that. It was just this deep bed of spices. And also the beer finished as a Saison should, nice and dry. So that 3724, that Belgian Saison uh, one, that really does work like a charm if you give it the time and you give it the technique that you need. I was really impressed with it, and I know last week after I recorded this, they actually took that beer down to the Casts Not Dead Festival at Yorkshire Square, who we've also heard from on the podcast, and they served a variant of the Quashing Falcons in cask, but the cask was primed with marshmallows instead of regular sugar, and if you stop and you think about it, it's a perfectly sensible thing to do because all marshmallows are is Sugar and gelatin. Okay, maybe some vanilla. But sugar and gelatin, which are two things that you'd normally find in cask beer anyway. So there you go. Now, if you wanted to go ahead and make your own sort of quashing falcons or pumpkin saison variant, then this is the recipe that I did years ago. I wrote this up in Zymergy. It's been all around the, the web for a while. I still really like it because I do like, again, the fact that it is it is a pumpkin beer without being a pumpkin beer, right? It's not an amber that you've thrown a bunch of spices into. It's a beer that actually has some heft, some depth and some character to it. And I honestly think that getting the phenols that the spice characters from the yeast 
is so much better than than the kettle additions that we would normally do or even doing tinctures because those tend to be a little less well incorporated or they have a tendency to also run a lot hotter. So if you want to make your own, here's the base recipe. And this is for five and a half gallons, uh, 13.75 pounds of Maris Otter or really good ale malt, a half a pound of biscuit malt, a third of a pound of Crystal 75, and a third of a pound of wheat malt. So, and again, on that Crystal 75, that could just be like a medium crystal, like say Simpsons medium crystal would be a really nice choice. Um, and then also a pound of a good dark English brown sugar. I used to always be able to get my hands on Billington's molasses brown sugar, which is actually a really nice English one that has a lot of smokiness to it. Uh, Trader Joe's used to carry that. I haven't seen it there for years. So you can either get it on Amazon or just go for a good brown sugar. And in order to mash it, you know, just nice low mash, you know, do somewhere in that 148 to 152 range. Let that sit for, you know, about 60 minutes. Do your thing. I go for a 90 minute boil on this. And so 90 minute boil, but the hop additions don't start until 60. The original recipe called for an ounce of stearine goldings, which are only 4.6% alpha acid for 60 minutes, followed by a half ounce of Zotz hop pellets at 20 minutes. These days, I would probably drop the stearine goldings in favor of Magnum or Y Target or a neutral bittering hop. So I can also use less of it because I do think that one ounce is more than I would ideally like if I didn't have to. Um, and that would give you, this whole recipe would give you an original gravity somewhere around 1080, 1081-ish, about 26 IBUs, so a nice small beer. And then, of course, we got the question of the butternut squash. So transplants put it into the secondary. I've always either done it in the mash or the boil, but basically here's the cheater's way of doing it. If you don't want to go out and, you know, roast your own butternut squash or pumpkin, just go and get a 20 ounce can of the prepared unspiced pumpkin, you know, so not pumpkin pie mix, but pumpkin. And right now is a perfect time to get it because it's everywhere. You can get one of the 29, ounce, sorry, one 29 ounce can. It's the bigger can uh, of the pumpkin and use that either in the mash or the boil. If you really want to step up your game, you can you know, do what I've done in the past, which is uh, oven roast it at about say 300, 350 uh, for a good long while, just to, you know, sort of, dry it out and turn it more into kind of a pumpkin leather so it's a little more concentrated you can also do that 350 with basically enough sweet pie pumpkins to get you to uh, about two pounds of flesh so you look to do that you can either use a pie pumpkin don't use jack or lantern pie pumpkin or in this case squash and again mash or boil transplants obviously did it very successfully in the secondary uh, as well. So I think you've got some choices there. And then I also like to add the sugar with only about five minutes left in the boils. So that way I have a little bit more maximal extraction. And don't forget my trick is to always take a hot bag, put the sugar in the hot bag and suspend the hot bag in the middle of the boil. Let the boil do the work. Don't bust your arms trying to stir sugar in before it drops to the bottom and scorches. Fermentation. Like I said, I like to use the DuPont strains for this because I like that overdriven spiciness. And so that's why you use 3724 or White Labs 565.1. And again, same thing as I normally do with my saisons, chill out down to say about 63, 64, pitch with the yeast, open ferment. So I do mine in kegs a lot of times. So that will just be the keg lid open with the PRV open, actually. So the keg lid sealed, but the PRV is open so that the gas can escape. I cover that with foil. If you're using carboys, same thing, just put the foil over the top of the carboy, kind of crimp it down. Don't squash it down tight. Remember, all you're trying to do is keep dust out of the carboy. Let that ferment for three to five days. 
three days at that lower temperature just to really kind of establish a nice clean profile with that spiciness building and then allow it to ramp up and you know get it up as high as you want it to go we're not talking quake levels here but you know these strains do pretty well say at 80 some some people like to take them to 90 i'm not a big fan of going all the way up to 90 85 is usually about where i like to top it out at and in fact, I usually just do these in a water bath. And the reason to do the open ferment, remember again, is DuPont strains have a reputation for being finicky and stalling. But if you do open fermentation, as we've shown experimentally, it seems to actually really help and avoid the stalls so you can ferment a lot faster. After that, allow the beer to settle. If you're going to do the transplants question, then I would add the, the squash then. If you're not going to do it and you do it in the mash and boil, then you're ready to go. Take it into a keg and carbonate. Again, since it's a Saison, I like to have it fairly spritzy. And then go on to it. On the beer itself, I think it hit all the notes that I love. These days, I tried to pull things back to simplicity. This is a much older recipe of mine. Uh, so it's a little bit more overdriven than I would normally do these days. But the idea was originally to do something like a Scottish strong ale, you know, like a, a we heavy through a Belgian lens. And there's a very long history of that. You can see that in like Gordon's Highland Scotch, uh, Scotch Silly. There was kind of this whole trend of making, you know, Scottish ales because that's where the Belgians learned to make a lot of strong beers, apparently. And, you know, remember Duval's yeast was originally McEwen's and then it went squirrely. And, you know, so that Scottish strong ale through a Belgian mindset and really kind of get there, add the pumpkin character and then allow the that yeast to do its thing, to allow that sweet pie-like you know, flavor up in the front with the, the sort of the graham cracker notes from the, the ale malt, the brown sugar giving you that sort of little bit of caramelized stuff along with the crystal and the biscuit giving you that little extra toasty note. And then you get pumpkin and then you get the spices from the yeast and then it gets dry in the finish and you're ready for the next sip. I think it's great. I love it. Now, remember the whole point of the beer and the reason that Transplants was willing to brew it, because remember, they said that they didn't want to do a pumpkin beer, is that twist, is the fact that it is that subtle thing. Usually people kind of expect craft beer here in America to go all out, you know, without any sort of sense of restraint, without any sort of sense of subtlety. And particularly when you take a look at a brewery like Transplants, which is way out there a lot of things that they do this seems more restrained but this beer is meant to confound you because it is supposed to be special but not necessarily flashy and i hope that you guys give this a try you have plenty of time to be able to make some up for what remains of the holidays go and take advantage of uh, all the pumpkins that are still out there and remember pie pumpkins not jack-o'-lanterns or butternut squashes also very plentiful right now and if you do give it a try Make sure you email us, podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Hit us up on social media. Let me know that you made the beer and tell me what you think. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this dive into just how you can make a pumpkin, make sure you hear the air quotes there, beer that isn't basic. I loved this beer both as brewed by me and by the crew at Transplants with their tweaks. We're still in the middle of the holiday season, so nothing's stopping you from having a fantastic beer that's perfectly holiday-themed without being too over the top. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. 
And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Chat with Champs, helping kids with cancer to connect with each other. Come on, it's kids. It's cancer. Help them out. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. 